0: bro i had some ray robs last night bro and i think it's giving me the shits
1: god damn it of course it's gonna give you the shit dude, skis dude that's, but it's the hey, best. that's it's the, the intro right there yeah, it's the okay, best chicken
0: know. in jackson though Welcome, that's like please don't
2: Nick.
1: Scott, how's it going?
2: Hey, you guys are early. I am uh, hope I uh, didn't make, keep you waiting.
1: No, 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 absolutely. We were just getting su- uh, stuff set up, so no rush at all. Yeah, you said you were running a little behind, so I wanted to give you time. Uh, yeah, no. How's,
2: how's my audio?
1: Sounds fantastic. What about us?
2: Uh, well, I haven't heard. Uh, who's with you?
1: Uh, so this is my co-host. You just shut my mic off. <laughs> yeah, you just shut my mic off. Turn it up. My a little name more. is
0: Brendan. I'm Nick's co-host.
2: I've seen your name, but I I hadn't interacted with you, Brendan. I've heard so little about you. Nice to meet you.
0: Nice to meet you too, <laughs> Scott. I probably I know a little bit more about you. <laughs>
2: uh, let's see. Uh, well, you can hear me, so let me get rid of these. Uh, uh, do you guys do video or audio or both? Uh, we do both. Well, then we don't want to look that old with the glasses.
1: <laughs> I want you to be comfortable, sir. However, you feel comfortable.
2: Oh, uh, let me go get a couple shots of bourbon. I'll be right back. There you go. Uh, There you go. (laughs) Never makes
0: you happy.
1: So just before we get started uh, again, I'm Nick. This is Brendan. And then we've got my producer uh, over behind the scenes. His name is Matt. Um, Our producer. Not Matt. Yep. Not Matt. Oh, sorry, bud.
2: I've heard so much about Matt. It's just a little scary, a little creepy being in the same uh, Zoom with him. (laughs) (laughs)
1: he almost spit out his drink
2: (laughs) well when he's not around tell him we talk about him hey uh good to be here with you guys and congratulations on your success with the podcast and everything um what uh whenever you want to jump in or if there's anything you want me to do or not do is it okay to plug my podcast you want to keep that on the down low uh we
1: would we would love for you to plug anything you've got going uh at any point in the podcast um we don't really have any rules or anything we just we talk about anything and everything
2: let me get my clothes
1: off uh Uh, feel free to cuss feel free to tell any stories uh i mean talk about anything and everything we're uh we're more than interested to hear so um, sounds like fun so scott thank you for joining us um we're very excited for you to be here Uh, welcome to please don't interrupt me um so just to start off uh you had a we read that you had a business started at 17. How did you kind of go about starting that? And what was that business?
2: So um, I'm a lifelong entrepreneur, but it all started. uh, The short story is I was a night janitor at a a bad motel, you know, cleaning toilets and and polishing floors. And I was uh, very young and I would hide out from the management in the bar. And I heard these two guys talking about how they made money on the weekends by striping painting the lines in parking lots. It's called striping. And I go, shit, I could do that. So um, I went out and I talked to a couple of professional striping companies and kind of found out what they charged and how they did it. And, uh, but I didn't have any money. It was just an idea. Uh, I had a friend that had 500 bucks. So I brought him in as a partner and we used that money to buy a paint machine. And then we thought, hmm, how are we going to get the paint machine job to job? So we had another high school buddy that owned a van and we brought him in as a partner and a a restripe was born. And we went around, I was the salesman and, and CEO. And, uh, we striped every McDonald's in Northern California, all the Raley's we did an airport, several other large companies, and we painted the lines in parking lots. It's like a bucket line. And, uh, we were 17. So the deal with McDonald's was we got paid a dollar a line, but we got all the food we could eat at each McDonald's. So we porked out on McDonald's. Jesus. And uh the fascinating uh, continuation story is after about a year and a half, two years, I sold out. But the partner that owned the van uh still has that company today. His sons are running it, and A Restripe has now been in business um over about 50 years, 49 years.
0: Holy shit. That's incredible. Yeah. That's congratulations.
2: Well, I I I sold out of it after a year and a half. I didn't make any money. But uh (laughs) just being involved, you know, it's pretty incredible. (laughs) Well, it was um, you know, when you're young, you you, you know, you just could throw caution to the wind and try things. And um, I didn't have any money, I just had an idea and I was able to create and build this company. And I operated it for a couple of years and then it took off and, and it's, it's kept a family making money all these decades. It's really exciting. Um, it's curious just to add one more story. If you guys don't mind, Nick, Brandon,
1: absolutely. Please go
2: the brother of the guy that owned the van who still runs a restripe today. I went in business with him. My next company was called sounds good music and we played disco before disco was hip uh, for Mm -hmm. weddings and bar mitzvahs and schools and high schools. We did dances and uh, I started that company and brought in his brother. We, we bought the equipment. We went around and we uh, put discos into steak and ales and other restaurants. uh, And I did that for a couple of years. But what's the interesting part is that company is still going today as well. And it's the brother of the guy that was my partner nna restripe is the owner and still operates sounds good music and that's about 45 years old
0: oh my god so two companies you essentially he's very good at you're very good at building businesses he's very you're very good at risk taking
2: sir uh, th- thank you, and uh, I appreciate the sir. I, uh, sir. <laughs> I feel like I've earned that. I haven't been dubbed by the queen as of yet, but I'm waiting for the call. I'll, um,
0: I'll, I'll talk to her. Don't
2: worry. <laughs> put, put me in good favor with the queen. Uh, no, it, I have been lucky, and it's interesting because I didn't think about it until just you said that, but my next company, the one that uh, it gets me the most excited, um, I was 24 years old and i opened up a comedy club called laughs unlimited Mm -hmm. and it was the 12th comedy club in the entire united states and i got to work with i mean leno seinfeld saget helped me open gary shandling uh yakov smirnoff pat balson Soupy sales i can go on and on uh uh, tons and tons of people you know and heard of dana Mm -hmm. carvey was a good friend is a good friend um But what's interesting, and I didn't realize it until I was talking to you two, that I started that company, I ran it for 21 years, had Mm -hmm. huge success, great stories, uh, 125 employees, I built it to three comedy clubs. But what's interesting is that company, even though I sold out in 2001, is still operating today. So not only was it one of the first comedy clubs in the industry in the United States, it is still at 40 years plus old, one of the oldest clubs in the country. So I have had a knack for building things that mm-hmm. stick around.
1: I, the, you said laughs unlimited and I don't know where, but I've absolutely heard of that. And... It's a,
2: it's an a room. Um, we worked with, uh, I mean, you could almost name anybody from the eighties and nineties, they work for me. And it was, uh, the reason I started my podcast funny side story. If we have a second, but feel mm-hmm. free to interrupt me. Uh, mm-hmm. Nick and Brandon, mm-hmm. I, uh, spent two years writing a book on my stories and history in the comedy business. And my wife took one look at it and just laughed in my face. She says, no, one's going to read your fucking book. You know, what are you doing? <laughs> and she said, you ought to do a podcast. And I'm like, what's a podcast. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, So I did my research, and I in March of 2019, one month before COVID hit, I'm not one of those tag-alongs, I uh, started my uh, podcast, and it uh, just hit 50,000 downloads, I just did my 100th episode, and what I did is I took the stories and the comedy from the 80s and 90s, and I presented in my podcast, Stand-Up Comedy Host and MC, and the reason it's so fun is that I used to produce television. I had three TV series, an album and a CD, and I own a ton of material from, again, Bob Saget, Dave Collier, Jerry Seinfeld, all these guys. And so I put that in my podcast.
1: Oh, that's awesome. And what was the name of that podcast again?
2: Uh, Stand-up comedy, your host and MC. (laughs) Celebrating 40 plus years on the fringe of show business, where we bring you interviews and comedy from the famous and eh, not so famous.
1: <laughs> i got to tell you, man, you've got an incredible radio voice.
0: I was literally oh. thinking the same thing, bro. Well, I, I
2: appreciate the compliment, but I'm married, guys.
1: <laughs> that's, uh, that's so a, am I. So that, that's a ah, damn bummer.
2: Good for you. What's his name? Anyway. Uh... <laughs> oh,
0: got your ass. But I'm bummed. What made so, you get pregnant, bro? It's Kevin. <laughs> yeah harp bitch so it's uh it's
2: been a fun ride did uh something similar get you into podcasting
1: well honestly i as you were talking i was like damn he's been in podcasting longer than i have um (laughs) i started in december of 2020 i was uh working for a um a grow facility of marijuana they they're very new at the time i guess and, um, I was talking to some guys and I was like, man, I want to get into a podcast, but honestly, I don't think I have anything interesting enough to say, you know, that kind of thing. And I, I came to this idea and cause it was a grow facility. I was like, oh, you know, let's, let's call it, let's smoke on it. Um, <laughs> because I, you know, play on words, let's talk about it or whatever. And I was like, you know, let, let's smoke on it. So I, I ended up running with that. I think, I mean, we ran for it with a, for just about a year. And then um, I 40, mean, the 40 I, episodes, yeah, 40 episodes were awesome.
2: We, Great job.
1: Thank you. Um, and then th- this will be uh, episode number three of our rebrand. Please don't interrupt me. Um, so we've been I mean, they've been episode on the show four. for a little. Sorry, four. excuse <laughs> me. I've been an episode behind every single fucking time. Um, <laughs> it's because you're smoking too much pot. I hate to say it, Nick. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> I mean, you might not be wrong about that. <laughs>
2: So I have some great news for you guys, and, and I'm glad you're recording this because we'll need it for evidence. Uh, my wife is a, a national law enforcement uh, anti-marijuana task force. So uh, good to uh, meet you guys. Oh, fantastic.
1: Uh, I mean, that means I'm very grateful to be in a, in a legal state. <laughs> exactly,
2: <laughs> and and I think it's great how you started your podcast, and you were saying that uh, you you felt a little sh- unsure of what you could bring to the audience, and uh, obviously that's why you bought, brought Brandon in, right?
1: Yeah, he's very he's way <laughs> more interesting than I am, a hundred percent. brandon here, I mean, is just uh like me but better.
0: <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> he's like I Ubin have stories. I less have hot. stories every here and there. I have stories every once in a while, man. But uh that sounds Nick, like I would argue having... that Nick's a lot more curious. He's a lot more curious. Well, and you need to <laughs> I
2: heard
1: that Jeez, <laughs> he heard it too. <laughs>
2: oh man. Good for you. Uh it's nice to have a, a producer that can mock you openly with an open mic. Um <laughs> the uh podcast that you're just starting and rebranding, and I'm very proud to be on episode four, not three, uh <laughs> is a, always a great opportunity to uh, broaden your audience, ec- expand your horizons and find uh, unique and interesting topics and people to talk about and talk to. And uh, I wish you a whole lot of luck with the new brand, but if you got to uh, 40 episodes uh, a- about marijuana and, and doing your podcast talk that way, I'm sure you'll have similar, if not more success with this one, because you've basically broadened your scope.
1: And that was essentially the idea behind it. Um, We kind of uh, eventually came to the conclusion that we were hindering ourselves with, uh, I mean, even just the name of it, um, even, I mean, behind the name, it was a very open podcast in terms of like what we talked about and who we had on and everything, but people would look at the name and even though don't judge a book by its cover, that's exactly what people fucking did all the time. So, um, I mean, it was hard to even like get an audience. So we talked about it, decided that a rebrand was the best way to go about it. And, um, and we decided, like you said, it was a good way to broaden our audience and uh, have a lot of different guests on. And so uh, we're very happy that you were willing to be one of our first.
2: Oh no, it's, it's a real honor. And I wish you and Brandon uh, a whole lot of luck. The um, idea about please don't interrupt me. Great title for a podcast. <laughs> and uh, we'll open up uh know you could what's great about being a podcaster if i might uh pontificate a little is that we get an opportunity as creators to talk to people we want to talk to about subjects that we're interested in and take ourselves down a a deeper hole into a topic so Mm -hmm. even though my podcast is all about stand-up comedy i get a chance to ask people how they got started what they think is funny why is it funny who's their audience, uh, any great stories they've had from being on the road as a comic. You can, you can, you know, it's not just, hey, tell me a joke. It is, goes deeper into how they create that material, why they present it and how well they do with an audience hit or miss. And that seems to be good for my audience because it's um, not the same thing over and over. Everybody's got a different story. And in your podcast, that's the uh, the path that I think you've started on. Is that you can bring different people talking about different topics, and then you, as the host, can decide where you take that conversation and and dive deeper. I think that's a, a great opportunity.
1: Well, we appreciate. Uh, I mean, the kind words, and I mean, honestly, the advice that re- I mean, reading between the lines, I guess, of what you're saying, and. Um, just trying to take that, uh, I don't know, into consideration and I, I don't know what I'm trying to say. Essentially, ah, Brandon, um, thank you for the advice. And um, we're doing our best to broaden our audience and mm-hmm. bring in, um, I mean, the best of the guests that we can and uh, try to make the podcast. We we want to run it essentially as a business, but also uh, have fun while we do it.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Exactly. If you're not having fun as an entrepreneur, I always had made sure I was having a good time uh, while owning a chain of comedy clubs. I made quite a bit of money and uh, tell them to uh, settle a stomach somehow. Um, Jeez, man.
0: Dropping bombs.
2: <laughs> the uh, uh, opportunity when you're doing your own business or doing your own podcast is to do things that you wouldn't normally do. So for mm-hmm. me, when I owned a chain of comedy clubs, I made quite a bit of money. I mean, I went bankrupt twice as an entrepreneur, so it's, but it's give and take.
0: But you but I, back.
2: I'm sorry. You bounce back. Right. You yeah. got to, uh, you know, uh, it's been well said that, uh, failures are the stepping stones to success that if you're mm-hmm. not failing, you're not trying. Right.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Absolutely. So, uh,
2: but you get to, when you do own a company or you're a creator and you get to have some success, You want to have some fun with it. And I was trying to lead to a quick story that when I owned the comedy clubs, um, I had some money and uh, I was single and it was very nice. I chartered a Learjet, uh, took uh, five different women, uh, all of whom I uh, knew in the biblical sense and (laughs) flew them down to uh, Hollywood. We were uh, uh, backstage at the Tonight Show, hung out with Jay Leno, oh, um, uh, met Roseanne Barr, did a bunch of stuff, went to some other shows. Then I flew him to Vegas and we hung out in Vegas for uh, a few days and had some fun there and flew back. Now, it was probably the biggest waste of $15,000 that you could ever think of. But man, I got some great stories.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I can only imagine.
1: I mean, if you got stories out of it, it's not a waste, right?
0: Right, right. You got to have fun. We
2: were talking about being an entrepreneur. One of the things I did, uh, and just to uh, see if I can stump your audience, because I I would guarantee nobody in your audience has ever done this, I actually owned a submarine.
1: What? Tell me
0: more. I I got to hear more. I want to hear about the submarine.
1: So
2: uh, some friends of mine have a company called Snuba. You can Google it. It's an uh, international Snuba Snuba underwater snorkeling uh, tourist company. I'm an owner and uh, it's all over the world. And these guys decided to build a semi-submersible submarine. I helped them build it. Mm -hmm. We launched it in um, Pearl Harbor in Hawaii. And I thought it was so cool. I said, I got to get one of these. And Mm -hmm. so I bought and built a submarine for myself and I put it in Monterey, California. It ran for a year and a half and I lost my ass financially. (laughs) (laughs) It was a great concept and did really well in Hawaii and other places around the world, these submarines, but Monterey was too cold. And even though you could see otters and sea lions and great fish and the kelp beds, the water was so cold, there was a algae bloom problem. And I had to pay a scuba diver to be underwater for every tour cleaning the windows so that the tourists could see the fish <laughs> and just lost my ass financially. So we ended up selling the submarine to the Wrigley gum family. It's still operating in Catalina Island just off of LA. Um, but a much, much fun thing to do. Great to be able to say I own a submarine, and yet a huge, huge financial loss.
0: <laughs> but a great experience by the sounds of it. Oh yeah,
2: no, I mean I wouldn't trade it for the world. Um, one of the other little, I, I, it's, and I don't want to sound like I'm coming off uh, bragging, so please apologize or interrupt me. But oh, uh, no
0: worries, no worries. These are very interesting.
2: <laughs> the <laughs> no. uh, one of the things that I did have success with was that uh, I also was playing with my money. I was trying to have some fun. I uh, had a partner, but I bought a, a beach shack on the big island of Hawaii. And when I was in my uh, late twenties and still single, I would go fly over to Hawaii five or six times a year and hang out and work my beach shack. And I got to tell you guys, when you're young and single, there's nothing like a lot of hot babes on the beach sunning themselves and I'm the one selling them or renting them towels and selling them sunscreen. And you get to meet a lot of neat women that way.
1: <laughs> yeah. I can't even imagine the kind of people you meet doing something yeah, like that. <laughs> yeah, It was,
2: it was uh, a great experience. I didn't lose money on that, but I didn't make money on that. It was more like a, uh, um, well, let's just say the view was worth it.
1: Oh, hundred <laughs> percent. So I got to ask, uh, well, I, I got to assume you went down in the submarines yourself, right?
2: Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. I owned it. I drove
1: it. What was some of the coolest shit you saw down there?
2: Well, I, I should say that on top of that, uh, for many years, I've been a scuba diver and I've had a chance to, uh, uh, pet sharks underwater. I've held octopus underwater, um, been in the water with dolphins and, uh, uh, have yet to be underwater near a whale yet but that's still on my uh bucket list but being a scuba diver allows you to interact with what really is the largest uh body of water on our planet right mm-hmm. and so when you're underwater and you're with the sea life and it's whether it's an urchin that's you know uh a, 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 it's called a, a sea nudibranch uh that's maybe three inches long and it's it's very colorful and very interesting mm-hmm. uh or you're in the water with a 12 foot um, black tip shark, um, it is exhilarating to shark? say the least. I'm oh, yes. Shark? Yeah. The, uh, there's only a few species of shark that are dangerous. Most of them are pretty docile. And I've been in the water with shark many times and, and never been fearful. Um, I've done a couple of night dives, and those are a lot scarier because the fear is in your mind. You don't know what's out in the darkness. Right, uh, of course. I, I got a quick uh, underwater story that's really kind of cool.
1: I'd love to hear it.
2: You guys got time? Yeah, oh, yeah, oh yeah, we got more it. than enough. This has not been shared on a podcast yet. So the, oh, your, oh, yeah, your yeah, audience yeah. is the first.
1: PDIM exclusive right here. <laughs> <laughs>
2: so I was uh, scuba diving with uh, two young ladies in Hawaii and uh, our dive master. Uh, it was one of our very first dives. It's called a resort dive. We hadn't even been certified yet. And our dive master was the only native Hawaiian dive master on the big Island. And he took us down and we're, you know, doing scuba diving stuff. We're looking at things and I'm always touching things. And the girls would just kind of cruise along and watch. But at one point, the dive master, the guy that our lives are in his hands goes over to this rock face and he reaches into a hole and then he comes out. And then he gets pulled back in and it comes out and he gets pulled back in. And I don't know if you guys ever saw the movie, the deep, but it's about a month, uh, manta ray, uh, mm-hmm. that's grabbed somebody and, and can kill him. In this case, his hands going in and out of this mm-hmm. hole. And we're like freaking out. Like, is he in trouble? Are we supposed to do anything? And you can't talk underwater. So we're, and I'm the guy with two girls. And I'm like, well, I'm supposed to save him. Mm-hmm. And finally he pulls out this octopus That was pretty good sized. And he immediately, and I'm not kidding, put this thing up to his face. So all of a sudden, just like an alien, this octopus (laughs) is right over his face. And we're like totally freaking out. You know, if you could hear screams underwater, you would have. And, uh, and then he pulls it off and the thing's still wiggling and writhing and back onto his face (laughs) and, we're like, this guy's not having much luck. Yeah. We were just in shock. And all of a sudden the octopus goes limp and he shoves it in his BC and starts swimming. Like nothing ever happened. And me and the two (laughs) girls that were with, you know, that are with me, were like freaking out. Like what the hell just happened. And so we finished our dive. We get back up to the boat. And of course we're like, his name was Larry. Kapaka, Larry, what just happened? And he goes, he goes, "Mm, octopus, good eating. And I go, yeah, but it was on your face. In fact, you could see when we got out in the boat, all these little sucker marks Mm -hmm. uh, like hickeys all Mm -hmm. over his face from the tentacles. And he goes, Oh, he goes, if you bite an octopus between the eyes, there's a central nervous system. And if you bite it with your teeth, you kill it. And it took him two times. So he put it up on his face on purpose to bite the central nervous system of this octopus, Ugh. took it off, it didn't work, and did it again just to kill it because he wanted to eat it.
1: Oh my, oh my God. God.
2: So it, 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 it it's wild. A, it's crazy. It's a great story because it's a true story. He went home and, and had some fresh uh, octopus. But uh, I will say, and I have to apologize to the people of Hawaii, that uh, me and the ladies, uh, probably left a little excrement in the bottom of the ocean because it scared the shit out of us. <laughs> <laughs> I would have been terrified. Yeah,
1: No shit, dude. That's a weird fucking way to hunt an octopus. <laughs>
2: we just didn't have any clue what was going on until he told us. And then it kind of all made sense. But still, that seems crazy. Because I, I, I don't know. You're probably not scuba divers. But you're breathing through an apparatus. You He had to take that out. To bite the octopus. So basically, he didn't have any air. needs 30 feet underwater, right? Anyway, uh-huh. that's the first time this story's been told on a podcast. Well, Even my podcast.
1: That's fucking crazy, dude. Oh, my God. I can't imagine being 30 feet underwater and be like, you know what? I'm going to bite this octopus on the face.
0: Dude, <laughs> Dude, I am not a fan of the ocean, bro. Because of that reason. Uh, because of that same reason, man. You never well, know Brandon crazy I'll monsters are down there, bro yeah no so it kudos is kudos to you for doing that especially with two girls you had to protect
2: yeah <laughs> <laughs> well they would laugh and say that i wasn't very protective uh i've been very blessed i got certified right after that i've got over a hundred dives uh around the world mostly in hawaii and it's I, I do recommend brendan that even though the ocean is uh one of the only places where everything eats something else mm-hmm. there's no such thing as a vegetarian right uh they all eat something that's alive um it's still a beautiful amazing uh place and Mm. a lot of things that non-divers don't realize is it's one of the most peaceful things you can do because all you hear are the you know the fish chipping off the coral or i mean it's really quiet and serene and and Mm -hmm. and if you're uh uh, not like me and down touching everything and sticking my hand in holes like an idiot. Um, it could be really uh, restful. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I do recommend it if you get a chance and, and you don't have to get certified, just do uh, a resort dive. I recommend somewhere better than uh, our friends in Mexico because they don't care about the laws there. If you want to learn how to dive, they fill your pockets with rocks and then throw you in.
0: <laughs> uh, I, don't know. I don't know if I can afford that right now. Uh, I, I, I would I, love okay. to dive. Well, I'm gonna first start with putting my foot in the ocean and I'll I'll take baby steps. I'll take baby steps. You haven't even been to the ocean. I have been and I just didn't go in the water. I <laughs> wasn't I was, I was in, okay. So what it was, it was my uh, senior year uh senior year uh spring break. I was in South Carolina, uh Myrtle Beautiful Beach state. with my uh aunt uncle and my two cousins. Yeah. And unfortunately that week it was just pouring rain disgusting most of the time. And even when the sun was out, it, w- it was like 70, it wasn't like warm. So I did not want to go in that water. I spent most I, of I gotta, the time in that hot tub chilling. So I'm going to interrupt you.
2: Row. I'm going to interrupt you. Cause that's, uh, uh, cause it says, please don't interrupt. Uh, <laughs> uh when you, I was just in Hawaii in December and they had their biggest storms ever but I will tell you from a uh, scuba diver and snorkeler and a fan of the ocean, the best time to be in the ocean is when it's raining because you can't do anything else. You can't golf. You can't sunbathe, you know, why not get in the ocean when you're wet already and enjoy the experience and and keep in mind that under the water where you're seeing with your snorkeling or your scuba diving, the rain has no effect. So, uh, but the, the beaches in Myrtle beach are beautiful. Mm -hmm. I was there last summer uh, on a golf vacation and uh, got a chance to uh, do a little body surfing at Myrtle Beach and uh, it was beautiful
0: mm-hmm. I, I actually I, fortunately I was at the beach I was able to walk the, the walk the sand and everything I was just like fuck that water I was like that's <laughs> I was like I'm not a fan of the cold I'm not gonna lie to you I've never been a fan of the cold and I was just afraid oh of the cold. okay But, but what you just said kind of makes sense to me. It's like if you want to be outside and it's rainy, the only thing you can do is get wet. Yeah, go swimming
2: or go in the ocean, right? What's it's not going to matter to you.
0: I'm going to need like a full suit to keep me (laughs) warm. How about you, Nick?
2: Are you an
1: ocean goer? Oh, I love that shit. Uh, I mean, I've only been twice, I want to say, and I can only remember one of them. And I was like eight years old. But I mean, I have always had i mean it, shark in sharks in particular i've always had an interest but like the ocean has always been something uh that's caught my eye in terms of like there's so much to be explored and there's so much like that we can find and we have no idea about yet so like yeah it's would-
2: got uh it's one of the few areas uh, left where there, there's actually vast parts of it that have not ever been explored there's been uh Uh, more people on the moon than uh, some parts of the ocean bottom. But, uh, Mm -hmm. um, you know, whatever you end up doing with your lives, you just have to, much like being an entrepreneur, you have to open yourselves up to opportunity Mm -hmm. and then seize those opportunities, win or lose, and do something that uh, impacts your life in a positive way. And uh, I know a lot of people that have tried things and failed and they give up. Or how about our? You probably know people like this. They get up every day and they go work in a cubicle for eight hours, and then they come home. And I, I know, and I uh, bless the people that are able to do that and survive. But for me, and I'm a Type A personality. You may have picked up on that. Um, <laughs> you can't, you could not catch me uh, spending that much. You know, forty hours a week in a cubicle and not seeing the world, not being out doing things. Um, and all my businesses, I was always the salesman. I was always the mm. marketer. I was always the person, the face of the company. Um, and I apologize for that, but, uh, it is important mm. to get out and, uh, 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 you know, spread your wings as they say, uh, enjoy life and, uh, and have some fun, whatever you do.
0: And we appreciate that and that's a huge reason we wanted to do this podcast just the reason you're doing yours to express you know yourself in a way to communicate with like-minded people or let people experience you know just life. Yeah. you see it
2: my recommendation would be uh sit down and, and write down 10 areas of work or life or hobbies or anything really anything 10 things that interest you and then go out and find people you can interview that are involved in that topic, whether it's bowling and golf or, or starting a business or being in a restaurant or being a cook or right, whatever, or, or (laughs) MMA or, or, you know, a pot grower. I mean, Mm -hmm. these are all things that you're going to find an audience interested in that niche in that you Uh, That you took the time as the creator to find somebody interesting and then ask them the questions that other people, because even though we're all different, we're all the same, the questions that you would ask somebody that's a uh, professional, uh, (laughs) uh, I was going to say something stupid, but uh, (laughs) let's say a a professional golfer uh, is is the same kind of questions that uh, thousands of other people would ask that person. So Mm -hmm. by, by preparing, finding the right guest, preparing with some questions that would take you down a a conversation line will not only entertain you, but entertain and educate your audience. And and Mm -hmm. what's great about being a podcaster is that we afford ourselves that opportunity and it doesn't cost us anything. We create it, we put it out in the world and people that are interested will find it.
1: Mm -hmm. And that was exactly why, uh, when I reached out to you, I don't remember, uh, where that website was, but where I reached out to you to get you on the show. I mean, I was, it, it allows you to like pick out topics you're interested in. I you chose, you know, three of them just to start out with. And the, uh, you're the third one out of that list. And I mean, wait a minute, I was third shit. But however, you're the first for number one, you're the first <laughs> one I, uh, I booked. Ah, okay. So technically, okay. you are first.
2: All right, um, all right. I, I'm uh, number one with a bullet, and I'm uh, I'm on the fourth show. I feel better. I'll be able to sleep good tonight. Thanks, Nick.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm glad I could do that for you.
2: You won't <laughs> wake up in a cold sweat. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what am I gonna do? Damn um, <laughs> Now, you guys know that I have an entrepreneurial background. I know how to start up a business, and uh, I. I've been bankrupt. I've been rich. Um, I, I leave a pretty interesting, exciting life. But I've been in comedy for forty years. I still produce shows. I've produced television. I've produced radio. I've done huge concerts. I had Jay Leno in uh, two sold-out uh, concerts. I did one open-air concert where I had twelve thousand people. Um, I've I've been very blessed and done a lot. Did mm-hmm. you have any questions on any of these? Areas that might be uh, of interest to you that you'd like to share with your audience? I actually I think we have a bunch, do.
1: to be honest with you.
2: Okay, this, then I'll shut
0: up. You go ahead. To start off with, uh, what was your favorite show that you ever set up? And what, do you remember the lineup? Um, it, uh, I, That's really difficult.
2: It's like saying, who's your favorite comic? And I've worked with thousands and hundreds that are really good. Uh, and and many of them famous. Uh, The ones I call get the golden ticket. You know, I know lots of really funny people that would make uh, any room laugh as hard as they would with uh, a Bob Saget or a Jerry Seinfeld, but they're not famous. You know, Jerry got the golden ticket and got his own show. Mm -hmm. Harvey got Saturday Night Live. Quick side story, uh, Dana was working for me and um, we got done with the show when we're sitting in a jacuzzi and he goes, man, I, I just got a phone call from Lorne Michaels. They, want me, to, they want me to come out and uh, uh, do a set for Saturday Night Live. And he was like really excited and really nervous at the same time. And of course, we all know that he ended up being a huge success on that. And that led to Wayne's World and those movies and his own movies. But uh, Dana Carvey was just an opening act and then a featured act and a headliner for me years before Saturday Night Live. In fact, I'll send you guys a video of Dana Carvey live on my stage. You'll like
1: actually, that'd be awesome. Um, that it's so crazy that you bring up Dana Carvey because I was just listening to a podcast the other day that, uh, David Spade was on and he was talking about, um, how, meeting Dana from SNL led to them having their podcast together. And I just thought that was so interesting that you brought up Dana because it kind of just brings that entire process kind of full circle. So it's really cool to see that.
2: Yeah. Dana was, uh, came out of the Bay area. He is a lot of people don't know. He's a terrific musician and, uh, he and his brother had a band. And at one point he was doing comedy at my club and he asked me a favor and he brought his brother's band up. With uh, backup singers and everything, and they work for a whole week, and that's the video I'll send you guys. Dana Carvey live on my stage with his brother's band. It's he's doing the song. You, if you ever watched Saturday Night Live when he was on, you're probably too young. But one of his favorite tunes was called Chopping Broccoli, and
1: broccoli.
2: Uh, and that's the song I'll send you on the video. Yes,
1: I'm excited please. to watch it. Yeah, I'm very excited to watch that. I want to know
2: how you chop broccoli. Yeah, well he'll Here he'll is. tell you. <laughs> but uh uh yeah so uh Dana uh, was one of those guys that actually kind of got his start at my club um and then I was very it was really exciting to be hanging with him when he got the call the call from Lorne Michaels and that led to a huge career but uh, you know Jerry Seinfeld was working for me when he got uh the Seinfeld Chronicles which by the way was the first season of the Seinfeld show it was called the Seinfeld Chronicles Seinfeld's he,
0: hilarious, bro. and
2: he had to cancel a week, week with me because he went to go do the show and he's such an honorable guy that after his first season of the Seinfeld Chronicles, he called me up and he goes, Hey, I owe you a gig. And he came back in and worked for the same money.
1: Oh my God.
2: Even though now he was a sitcom star.
1: See, I, that's so crazy that you bring up Jerry because a podcast I was listening to literally on my way home today. He, they were um, they were talking about how Seinfeld is just like a, even though he's one of the biggest names in comedy, he's like just a, such a regular guy, and they were talking about how someone brought up uh, personal assistants, and he's like, wait, I'm supposed to have a personal assistant? What 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 would I even have them do? And they're like, oh, you can get you can go from point A to point B. And He's like, but I can do that myself. <laughs> Yeah,
2: no, he's he's a pretty down-to-earth guy, but don't think he's just like us. He is so rich uh, that he uh, wears a new pair of shoes every day. Holy shit.
0: And <laughs> doesn't he have a pretty impressive car collection as well? A hundred percent.
2: No, he's interested in cars. Uh, he has that TV show where mm-hmm. uh, get, getting coffee with a comic in a car where he and he borrows all those cars. Uh, he, I think he only has two or three cars. The one that uh, okay. is really in the cars is Jay Leno. Uh, uh, yes, and then yes, he's I got remember. the show Jay Leno's garage and he owns, I think over 50 vehicles. He has his own um, large warehouse that uh, is almost like a museum to the automobile industry. Mm-hmm. And he actually works on cars. In fact, there's a great story that uh, he was working my club and one of my employees, gave him a ride to the condo and it uh uh broke down and the employee said uh oh you know i'm really sorry mr leno i'll i'll um i'll get this fixed and jay said you know no not on your life and and he pulled <laughs> and he out his fixed tool it, himself, and fixed it himself what yeah. a guy yeah he yeah. loves cars and he knows his stuff around any kind of motor. And, and, uh, and by the way, when it comes to people that were fun to work with and easy going, not prima donnas, uh, Jay Leno, uh, Jerry Seinfeld, Dana Carvey would be three of the people that, uh, were always down to earth. And you could talk to mm-hmm. now, I, I will say the opposite of that. And I'm not saying it in a bad way, but Gary Shanling, uh, his, my very first show, my opening act, making $150 for a week's work was Gary Shanling. And he worked for me a lot all the way up to where he became a headliner and all the way up until he had the Gary Shandling show. And he became the guest host on the tonight show. And he got a lot of fame and fortune, did a lot of movies, but he did change a little bit. He was a bit of a, uh, prima Donna when, once he got his fame, mm-hmm. I ran into him in a, uh, uh Vegas, um, workout room. We were both there. And, uh, And I was like, so excited. I hadn't seen him in like five or six years. And, you know, Hey Gary, how's it going? And he was, um, working out with some other showbiz person and he was kind of like, uh, yeah, hi, you know, and, and then, you know, and, oh, this is a, you know, he's telling his friend, oh, this is some club owner, you know, and it hurt my feelings at Mm -hmm. the time because, uh, his very first road gig out of his hometown of Phoenix, Arizona was my club. So, I mean, he knew me, I helped him in the early part of his career, but now that he was, you know, rich and famous, uh, um, I was one of the little people,
1: <laughs>
2: but most people aren't like that. Uh, they, you know, uh, I will say that, uh, if, if you're looking for comparisons, I did, uh, um, 21 years, 52 weeks a year, uh, of about eight shows a week, uh, at my clubs so thousands of shows and i had hundreds if not a thousand uh comics work for me i only fired two people in all those really? years fired midweek one was a guy you've never heard of uh bill kirkenbauer uh and that's because he uh was not really funny and that's why i fired him mm-hmm. um, <laughs> i was paying him a lot of money and the audience it wasn't being entertained and i said you know this isn't working And I sent him home
0: the other though, you
2: have heard of, if you ever watch political comedy, uh, was Bill Maher and Bill Maher, uh, came to my club. He was very funny, but he was very political. And, uh, it was the third week, like Wednesday night into the show. And he, you know, he talks about politicians in DC and throws out laws and talks about senators. Like they're his friends. And the audience didn't know all these people. So most of his, what he thought was funny was going over the heads of the audience. Mm
0: -hmm. And
2: he actually stopped halfway through his set, looked at the audience because he wasn't getting any laughs. He says, you guys are stupid. You don't, you don't get this really funny material because you're stupid Hicks here in Sacramento. And, and I was furious. These people paid to be entertained. And he has no right to go off on them. He came off stage and I fired his ass right there. I only paid him for the a couple nights he worked and sent his ass home and never worked him again. Now, he went on to fame and fortune, so I had no impact on his career. But I still believe to this day that our jobs as entertainers is to entertain a paying audience. And if you ever disrespect them, uh, you're the one that's out of line.
0: Oh, hundred oh, percent. I, I absolutely,
2: I'm, I'm my soapbox, so. get off my lawn, you kids.
0: <laughs> no. Yeah. Cause that's just extremely disrespectful to the people that came to pay you so you can give them a good night, you know, right, so, right. like laughs it, it, and all that shit. Like,
2: yeah, you don't have the right to call them stupid and, and they don't mm-hmm. get the material if, if you're not presenting the material that they understand and can relate to, which mm-hmm. is job number one of a, any standup comic is to relate to your audience um that's that's on the entertainer
1: 100 you know? percent. sorry no. i went
2: off on a, i went off on a tangent i apologize no
1: 100 percent. that's i mean that's what our show is essentially <laughs> we love it Um yeah. and,
0: and like you said he didn't have an audience at your club but you know with his new thing fortunately there was an audience they just weren't there you know so. and but yeah. i'm saying good for him type you know no, no, no.
2: He's, he's, you know, I booked him. He worked for me several times before this happened. He was a funny guy. He had just, as he was getting more famous, his attitude changed. When you're a hungry stand up comic, your whole goal is to make a room full of strangers laugh. You start getting a little fame or you start thinking you're bigger than everybody else. You get pompous and you throw back that I'm not failing as an entertainer, you're failing as an audience because you're stupid. That's what changed in him. He still Mm -hmm. went on to success because as he got onto a national stage, there's still going to be a sliver of people that knew those senators, that knew those laws, that knew those um, politicians that he was talking about, and that's who he spoke to. And that's why he had all his success on the news-type shows and uh, the political satire shows. But in a Sacramento comedy club, uh, he should have made an effort to uh, entertain that audience. But uh, mm-hmm. you know, <clears throat> just examples of the the various things that happen uh, in a nightclub, and you're you're trying to produce. I'm a producer. Uh, I had I was on stage every night for 21 years, but I don't consider myself a comic. Um, I'm a producer, and uh, my whole goal is providing a fun entertaining outlet for people so they can forget their jobs, their bills and their hardships for a few minutes. And my podcast does that.
1: Right. And like you said, uh, as an entertainer, it's your job or their job, I guess I should say, to adapt to that audience and entertain them because that's what you're essentially being paid to do.
2: Exactly. You're not going to do the same material in downtown New York with a bunch of aristocrats as you would in the south and if you're in georgia or up in idaho it's a different audience right mm-hmm, 100 right and, it, you know you can go to la and do a bunch of hip material mm-hmm. and talk about um you know new cultural stuff but Bogus that's not going to go over in arizona or or uh, new mexico per mm-hmm. se per se yeah you're talking
0: about uh, just being aware of your audience kind of yeah, yeah. I, get that, I get that uh but going back to what you're saying about like entertaining and relating to people i was just saying we're at, we're also fortunate that our podcast does the same thing maybe not as a as a biggest scale but we have people all the time at work or people we haven't seen in a while uh come up to us and ask us how it's going that we had no idea had any interest in it so we're fortunate right and, and
2: and that's the beauty of being a podcaster is that uh Um, we're all kind of in search of an audience and you just Mm -hmm. hope that audience finds you, you know, my podcast is entertainment, pure entertainment, but it doesn't fit everyone's needs. Some people want to you know, find out how to lose weight or how to, you know, talk to the dead or whatever they're doing. But, um, my particular podcast is, is just pure entertainment and there is some education in there. If you pay attention or if you're interested in the industry, but it is, uh, still up to the audience to find you know it my goal or my job and the same as yours uh nick and brandon is that you want to get your show out there Mm -hmm. so that people can find you of course that that are that are going to enjoy that and i think that's the hard part i think we all struggle with that i mean i mentioned i just hit fifty thousand downloads but that's after two years so Mm -hmm. i'm not knocking it out of the park. I get about 600, uh, listeners a week and Mm -hmm. it, uh, and I, my goal is a thousand, uh, because I used to get a thousand people through my Mm -hmm. club every week. So I set that as an arbitrary goal, but I'm two years into it. And I spend money on advertising and, uh, I've been on guest on talk on podcast. And, uh, by the way, for all your listeners that are in the podcasting, um, the March issue of podcast magazine comes out next week. Be sure to uh, take a look at it. There's a nice article on me. A little uh, promotion. Yeah,
0: I understand we love that. It. We love it. Uh, going back to your point about it, uh, it kind of taking a while to build up uh, for, for podcasting is just a slow process. You know, there's so many out there. Process, so yeah. many people are doing it. It's just the ones that keep going at it. And I, in my personal opinion, it's the ones that enjoy what they're doing the most. And actually I have an interesting cause I swear do you like motivation and like interest, like seeing people excited, it gets me a hype. And I, those are the ones I love. watching. Well, and we also have to support each other. So
2: when you guys finish editing this and get it done, send me a copy to the link and I'll put it out to all my social media and all my contacts. And that's how we can support each other and help people find you.
0: Well, we well thank you. We
1: that. very much appreciate that. I think we're going to, we're attempting to have episodes up uh on Sundays we try to uh run as quickly as possible so we'll record like Thursday nights and then have those up on Sundays so hopefully Sunday night we can get that sent out to you
2: well make sure you do and I'll be sure to support you um was there any other questions we want to hit real quick I'll try to not be so long-winded I I can hear your producer in the background going hey hey (laughs) yeah Matt
1: Nah, Uh, I do actually have um, quite a, I mean, not quite a few questions, but I I do have some interest Um, from your memory. Who or what was the first thing that got you interested in the comedy industry?
2: Uh, I'll try to keep this real short. I was selling insurance. I was actually selling life insurance and I was 24 years old and I hated my job because when you're 24, you don't think you're ever going to die. So it was hard Mm -hmm. to sell a product I didn't believe in. Mm -hmm. I turned out I was pretty good at it, but I hated the work. And I went on vacation uh, with my then-girlfriend, soon-to-be-wife, soon-to-be-ex-wife, uh, and I went to this uh, the comedy store in um, uh, by the UCLA. It was a satellite store in Westwood, California, and I went in, and uh, Sandra Bernhardt, Dave Coulier, uh, George Wallace, a few other acts were performing, and I was sitting there, and I was just having so much fun. And I go, man, I've never seen this. I hadn't even really heard of it. And I stayed until the end of the show. And I talked to the comics and asked them, you know, about the industry. And I drove back six hours and the whole way in my mind is, what am I going to do? Because I'd already started two companies. So I was like, mm-hmm. what am I going to do to start this? And I had no money. Um, and I, I came back, I quit my job. Uh, I went bankrupt and wrote off like $2,400, one of the stupidest things I ever did. And because uh, you get bad credit for seven years. Um, And then I negotiated because I didn't have any money. I made a deal with a restaurant that had a banquet room that I would get to use their banquet room at night, as long as I set up my club and tore down their banquet room. So every day they'd have a banquet or meeting, I'd have to tear that down, set up my comedy club, Mm -hmm. do the door, host the show, uh, you know, bring in the comics. And then after I had to tear down my comedy club so they could have another meeting and banquet the next day but i got to use the room for free because they got the drink and food money Mm -hmm. and i got the door and i lost my ass for about six months but then it started to turn the corner and then as they say the rest is history Mm -hmm. but um uh, that's the short story of that
1: and what would you say um what, what would be some of your favorite experiences that have come from getting into the comedy industry
2: Well, you know, it's really been a pleasure. And I told you, I've had some uh, really good times. And and there were some bad times, I suppose. But my wife and I and and my wife uh, start off uh, working for me when she was 19. So I always joke, I raised her as one of my own. And uh, we, we, uh, we dated for about 15 years. We've been married 22 years now. Congratulations. Thank you. We always talk about Uh, We don't miss running a nightclub. Um, Audiences are hard. Selling food and drink isn't easy. But what we do miss are the people. And Mm -hmm. we're talking about some of the customers, but also the entertainers, that when you're bringing somebody like uh, Bob Saget uh, into your club four times a year, Mm -hmm. and they're there for a week, you get to know them. We would go bowling with them. We would take them to dinner. I had a boat at the time. I'd take them out and go skiing or go Hang out on the boat. Um, you get to know them, and it's the people we miss. Um mm-hmm. there we got a chance to interact with some uh, pretty amazing people. Uh, real quick side story: your audience may not know the name, but a very famous Russian comic, Yakov Smirnov. Uh, I was one of the first clubs he worked, and uh he was re- literally just from Russia. And he was learned how to speak English by watching TV and, um, was working my club as a feature act, not making a ton of money. And we invited him to my son's first birthday party. It was a pool party and he was from Russia from, they have a different mindset and he was a young single guy and he comes out to the pool and I'm not kidding in a crocheted speedo. Right. So you had pubes coming through the, the, <laughs> the, yarn and, and all the, you know, all the women are like trying to hide the kid's eyes. Cause it was a speedo. It wasn't, you know, there wasn't a lot of mystery to what, uh, religion he was. Mm-hmm. And, but he was from Russia. He didn't know any better and, and, uh, and, and he ended up having a great time and he's, he's still a good friend. He's on, he's been interviewed on my show, mm-hmm. but, uh, uh, you know, moments like that, uh, don't happen in your everyday
1: life.
0: No, no absolutely no, no. not. Yeah. It only happens to me like once a once a, <laughs> once a month or something. I,
1: I can't say it's ever happened That's At least
0: 12 stories a year. I'm good. Oh, Brandon, <laughs> that's perfect. I just milk it. I slowly milk it to everyone I see. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what was Robin Williams like in person compared to what he was like in movies?
2: A lot of people don't realize he was very quiet and, um, demure, uh, and the definition being that he on for every bit of energy and excitement that he put on stage, he was 180% different offstage. He was very quiet, very polite, uh, very shy almost. Um, he loved interacting with other comics and as a producer, I was, uh, Uh, lucky enough to be included in that. And, um, uh, but on stage, he was just an explosive amount of energy. And it was a real honor. He uh, worked my stage twice. And uh, it was very sad when he passed away. In fact, one of the local TV stations interviewed me about uh, Mr. Williams. But uh, uh, he was really uh, a, a quick side story. I can name three different comics that were just getting started probably the most famous is paula poundstone and uh robin would take comics under his wing and kind of teach him about comedy and in working and in stuff and in paula's case she got very famous from it all but he was uh really gave back to the industry he was mm-hmm. a great guy a sad oh, loss he seemed it, like he really, really was
0: because i mean we've all heard Plenty of stories from a lot of com, com, uh, wow comedians and celebrities just saying how much they love Robin Williams during, you know, the time of his death. So it just shows how many lives he's impacted, as well as just ours, just from his entertainment and his, you know. Yeah, it, it, it's we're getting to
2: that point. Uh, I, I lost a very good friend, Bob Saget, a couple of weeks ago. Oh, yeah, and, well, I remember.
0: And those I wrote it
2: most of your audience would never not have heard of him but one of the best comic magicians ever his name was amazing jonathan he had his own theater and show in las vegas for over 15 years Holy shit. Was crazy on stage mm-hmm. um, and i do have some video of him uh, sadly he passed away yesterday um, and I'm sorry to he, hear that he had had heart troubles for many years Um, but uh, it finally took him yesterday. And so our uh, condolences and prayers go out to his family, but uh, we're getting to that point where we're starting to lose some of these people that I was uh, so lucky to have worked with and shared space with uh, back in the eighties. And um, really for those of your audience that aren't aware Uh, the eighties in particular were really the rock and roll wave of standup comedy. Mm -hmm. There was comedy before in the sixties and seventies, but it was like between strippers at a strip club or at a jazz club. And then it became mainstream and hit TV and hit everything in the eighties. And then by the end of the nineties, it was starting to fade out. And that's when I got out of the business. So I got to ride that wave with some Mm -hmm. of the best in the industry and uh, everybody in your audience, if you get a chance, you know, go see some comedy or listen to my podcast and and catch the gift that all these entertainers uh, gave. Uh, what I, I told you, I don't have a favorite comic, uh, and I can't say that. But I got to tell you, one of the ones that people don't realize how incredibly funny he was, uh, but if you saw his face, you'd all go, oh, we've seen him. He's done over 100 movies and TV shows. His name's Larry Miller. And everybody's Larry Miller, pull
1: it up. Yeah,
2: Uh, I don't know who Larry Larry Miller
0: Miller is. Yeah, but if you see his face,
2: you'll recognize him. He's been on a zillion TV shows and a zillion movies, and he is one of the funniest guys ever, his 12 steps of drinking and his skiing bit. Those two bits were about 20 minutes each are the funniest things you've ever heard.
1: Oh, I've definitely seen this guy. I love this guy. He usually plays a lawyer or a principal.
2: He's uh, uh, really funny. He's been in tons of movies and uh, uh, TV shows, uh, everything from uh, Monk uh, and NCIS to uh, uh, just too many to mention.
0: I,
1: I just recently watched something with him. The thing is, in
0: it. I his face is vaguely familiar, but oh. I have no idea what movies he's. from. Have You ever like, seen like, the, like the movie Pretty, Pretty Woman?
1: Woman? I've definitely seen Pretty been, Woman.
0: Wait, he's the legend of Frosty the Snowman, bro. He is uh, uh like, <laughs> in the movie Pretty Woman,
2: there's the one scene a where they go in clothes shopping and there was this it's called the suck up guy. Mm-hmm. And he was, was sucking it. up to the stars of the movie. Uh he's he was the that guy uh and he that made him famous. Oh
0: oh I've Pretty seen
1: w- so many of these movies that he's in.
0: The B movie.
1: Yeah, so I'm I definitely know who that guy is. I actually really enjoy him as an oh. actor.
2: Well, uh, if you get a chance, check out my podcast. There's a lot of his material on there and, um, or just Google him. You should find some of his material. He still performs. He had his own podcast for a couple of years, uh, uh, but one of the funniest people on the planet, uh, in fact, um, Mark Schiff, Jerry Seinfeld, Paul Reiser, and Larry Miller formed a club back in New York before they were famous called the funniest men in the universe. And they meet every once a year. And they have for over forty years uh, on New Year's Day to have uh, a brunch together.
1: That's actually a fantastic group of fucking people. That's yeah, I bet that's yeah. so fucking funny.
2: Oh, and they've all worked for me. I've been very blessed. Uh, Mark Schiff, Paul Reiser, Jerry Seinfeld, Mark, and Larry uh, Miller all worked for me uh, back in the day. And uh, and I guarantee they are the funniest men in the universe.
1: <laughs> and as a, you go ahead. No, 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 no. you go. All right. Well, this is just a a stupid pothead question, but I got to ask, uh, in your time around Tommy Chong, how much was he smoking?
2: He was not smoking by the time he worked for me because, uh, he'd already gotten in trouble and been jailed Mm -hmm. for his carrying. So he was being on the straight and narrow And, and keep in mind, he worked for me twice and it was towards the end of his comedy career. I mean, he's still out there doing stuff, but, um, uh, I got to tell you, you know, his famous song, "Earache my eye, a hundred percent. Well, anyway, one of the biggest times I ever got excited as a club owner, as a producer actually gave me goosebumps was when he played that live on my stage. Uh, Tommy Chong was again, he's a crazy maniac on stage. He has this bit from the old days where, uh, it's called Fifi and he, and he and his, uh, partner uh cheech would pretend to be dogs and sniff each other's ass right (laughs) but cheech of course wasn't touring with him so we'd bring a woman up on stage and he'd get his face right up her ass and chase her around (laughs) and it was it was a famous bit from uh their uh movies and stuff uh, and their stage show that cheech Mm -hmm. and chong did and he would do it himself with a woman and it was it was scary for That's me wild. as a club owner because we get sued but it was hilarious <laughs>
1: but That's he wasn't wild. smoking uh
2: and doing drugs in front of anybody at that point
1: mm-hmm. makes sense go ahead with yours well,
0: I, I uh i was like why are you talking to me man <laughs> i have a uh a question for you does your wife know about all those stories with other women scott <laughs> uh she was one of them <laughs> <laughs>
2: I would hope oh, so. Uh, right? So what it was, you. was um, you have to be very carried. You're, uh, you're already married, Brandon, Nick. Uh, <laughs> I'll give you some advice. You have to be care- careful who you get married to. Um, I got a girl pregnant and uh, she was the one that was a girlfriend, wife, and the next wife. We had 18 months of marriage, 18 years of payments, and I was successful. She, she sucked me dry financially for 18 years. But after that, I decided to stay single. And so... I was um, uh, actively dating and my wife at that time was just an employee and uh, we just started to be friends and go to a movie and do this and do that. And then we kind of started dating. And then um, uh, when it came time and I was, you know, I knew she was the woman for me. I asked her to marry me and she said, no fucking way. (laughs) (laughs) She said, you behave yourself for two years, which means get rid of all the other girlfriends for two years. I'll think about it. So I got rid of all the other girlfriends. I focused just on her. She actually moved in with me for a while. It's Christmas Eve, her family, my family, like 40 people in the house. I get down on one knee and pull out a big old ass wedding ring. And she goes, no fucking way.
0: <laughs> it's you with it twice.
2: Yeah, she's quite a woman, and uh, the the end of that story is uh, not three weeks later, we're having cereal on a Sunday morning at the coffee table here in the house, and she goes, oh, all right. I go, what? Oh, all right, I'll marry you. (laughs) And that was 22 years ago.
1: Just finally gave in, but at least it lasted, I guess I should say.
2: Yeah. Oh no, we're still going strong, and and uh, uh, she hasn't been able to bite through her chains yet.
0: It's <laughs> it's all about finding the person you can just relax with, like have those it, moments and enjoy it, You know, like right, eating a bowl right. of cereal on a whatever Saturday morning or whatever it was.
2: Right. No. No. I mean, it is true that when you're young and you're dating, it's all about love and sex and stuff. But uh, the reality of marriage is it's not who you can have. Uh, uh, 10 minutes of fun with, and in your case, Brandon, and three minutes of fun
0: with in bed. A, oh, uh, oh, got that's your ass. So Try important. an hour, Scott. <laughs> Sounds like you're looking at a mirror, but I it's the, no.
1: it's a minute it's of sex the, uh, and 59 of crying. But you,
2: you, you nailed it, Brandon. It's somebody that you're comfortable with that you can spend time with. And I'll tell you a story that, uh, uh, young people should hear, um, that I was told, uh, a- after I was already married, but I think it's so true that if you want to know, first off, you should always live with a a woman or a man before you get married, because you learn so much more about each other. Mm. But aside from that, you want to learn if someone's the right person or not, take a long car ride trip together. I'm talking like a three week to, I mean, a three day to a full week, you know, drive to go see the national parks or something, because those times, those hours in the car are a test to a relationship you know, and, and I'll give you a great example. You stop and get fast food. Does the person next to you help you with the food or just eat themselves and and let you fend for yourself? Am I giving you a good uh, analogy?
1: hundred percent. I understand what you're saying. I mean, I've never had it, but I get what you're saying.
0: uh, Fortunately, (laughs) I have my, uh, I've been up North where, uh, with my wife, like at least once before we got married. And it was, we stayed with my aunt and uncle. It's like a six hour car ride there. We went around uh, six hour car ride back. And it was like you said, like if you can spend that time and enjoy each other's company and not kill each great. other, and not kill each other.
2: Yeah. That's, that's a, a great. Us, uh, we, we love metric. getting
0: the food, man. We love getting the food too. Me and, me and my wife are foodies.
2: It's a great metric to a relationship because uh, when you're in that kind of close quarters, it it, you know, your patience and you're you're able to have a conversation. Sometimes uh, Jill and I will drive and and there's nothing said between us for 15, 20 minutes, and we're like fine with it. You know, I mean you're not freaking out trying to entertain each other. Mm-hmm. But that's you know, that's a whole nother podcast, relationships
1: 101 with Scott, Nick, and Brendan.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, oh. Well, uh, you've had some great questions where it's, uh, anything else that we should hit real quick. You got anything, Brendan? Uh,
0: no, I'm good, Scott. Thank you. Well,
2: let me just say that anybody interested, if you go to my website, uh, scottscomedystuff.com scottscomedystuff.com, you can find out about the video membership where you can see the videos. I'm going to send the boys you can see my uh, book is for sale. You can see my online comedy course. And of course you can access my podcast and all of its various, very entertaining episodes. Mm-hmm. So Scott's comedy stuff.com. Check it out. And thanks so much for having me on. Please don't interrupt me.
1: Absolutely. I've just got one last request for you. No! you and oh, really? oh, right. <laughs> you can absolutely say no, but, For the intro of this episode, would you mind in your best radio voice saying, welcome to Please Don't Interrupt Me? Three,
2: for this is for your producer. Three, two, one. Please
1: don't interrupt me. That's perfect. That's perfect. Thank Thank you very very much, much, Scott. We appreciate you being here and taking the time to sit down with us and have. It's uh, been
2: fun. You guys are great. I think you're going to have a successful podcast. I'm very honored to be uh, the fourth show. And, um, uh, you know, what was nice about this, uh, recording is that we talked about a lot of different things, shared a lot of different stories and you guys were engaged. So thank you for that. Absolutely. It's the least we
1: can do for having you sit down and take the time to talk with us and tell us some great stories. I had a fantastic time. Thank you.
2: Good, good, good.
1: Well, Scott, thank you very much. Have a good night. And, uh, we hope to have you on again very, very soon.
2: Oh, that would be awesome. And thank you, Nick. Thank you, Brandon. And thank you to the man behind the screen.
0: Yes, the, man in the, the man in the chair. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Scott, have a good night. And we will make sure to send you the link as soon as we get that. And uh, is there anything you'd like to plug?
2: Oh, I did. I, I mean, you can find my book on Amazon. Uh, it's called 20 Questions Answered About Being a Stand-Up Comic. Um, but uh, that's the third book I've written. And that's a whole nother podcast. So we can go down that path. You can find everything on uh, St- scott's comedy stuff.com. But thank you for the opportunity. And if you get a chance, check out the podcast, Stand Up Comedy, your host and MC. I'm Scott Edwards, and I'm off.
1: Have a great night, Scott. Thank you, you, and you and very family, much.
0: Take care.
2: Thanks, guys.
1: Have a
0: good night. Have a good night. And now it, you got Matthew.